Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get podcasts. Progressive Snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now, if you didn't hear that because you were looking at your phone while driving, let me say it again. Seriously, put down your phone. That is so unsafe. If you didn't do stuff like use your phone while driving, you could save money with Progressive Snapshot. But saving or not, just put it down. And if you did hear it the first time because you weren't looking at your phone, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. Welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam. We have a great show for you today. Football is in full swing after a weekend of games, and we're going to spend the next hour going over each and every one of the Week 2 contests. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague and NFL editor, Josh Hill. We'll go over all the main talking points, including the odds, the matchup, and, of course, who wins. But let's start this week off with what we learned in Week 1. And, Josh, I'll let you have the floor. What did you learn in Week 1? I learned that the Houston Texans are going to be very, very bad this year, and so are the uh, Indianapolis Colts, and so are <clears throat> the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that entire AFC South, just like we thought. Um, really, the thing that sticks out to me is kind of what we said last week. We don't really know much more than we knew going into week one. Like, yeah, the Falcons went to Chicago and struggled, but does that really mean that they're suffering a Super Bowl hangover? Who knows? You know, We're going to find out a lot more next week, and we still have two more games to go. So, you know, let's think about that. I agree. We've talked a lot about this uh, off of the air. And I, I think Houston, you can do a lot of things to scheme in football. You can change a lot of parts around. You can try to hide guys. You can't do that with the quarterback. You can either play or you can't. Sure, you can design rollouts and bootlegs and things, things that play to that guy's strength. But Tom Savage is a back quarterback in the NFL. And Deshaun Watson, while he's a first-round pick and he may be a great player, not getting it done right now as a starter. When you watch them in the preseason, he's slow to go through his reads. His footwork is inconsistent. He's not accurate, which also ties into that whole footwork thing. And he was 11-23 to in his first game with a pick. Uh, I was not impressed. And that actually leads us into our first game as we go kind of chronologically through this. Houston at Cincinnati. Bengals, who didn't score a point, are favored by three after being shut out in week one at home by the Ravens. And so we don't even know who's going to be the quarterback. Ian Rapport reported that the Texans are going to start watching. Uh, Bill O'Brien having four months to figure out what he needs to do with the quarterback situation and then yanking Savage after a half of football, that kind of tells me all I need to know about Bill O'Brien. Well, yeah, I, I thought about this on Sunday and how he might be the NFL coach with the quickest trigger that I've ever seen. Like, it, 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 I haven't known 
a situation in Houston in Bill O'Brien's time there where you've been like, you know what? Yeah, they have a quarterback, and I'm absolutely confident that he's going to stick with this guy. You know, Brian Hoyer, Tom Savage, TJ Yates started and won a playoff game for them. I mean, like, Bill O'Brien, his thing, like, everybody's like, oh, he's his quarterback guru. He's a quarterback whisperer. Who has he, besides, you know, working with Tom Brady, who has he ever developed into a quarterback? Christian Hackenberg. Yeah. Okay. Ask New York how that's working out for them. <laughs> Ask the Jets how Christian Hackenberg experience is working out for them. But Bill O'Brien's got this aura and this, this notion that he's his quarterback whisperer. I didn't see anything on Sunday that suggests he's anything close to that. I, I agree. You, know, you brought up TJ Yates. That was even that was the Kubiak era, which goes to show like, oh, how oh, long this has been going oh, on wow. in Houston. They can't get a quarterback. They had a couple of years with Matt Schaub. One year actually led the league in passing, which considering that Brady and Manning played in the league at that time is incredible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Houston to me, I, I, I know there were a handful of people who picked them to win the Super Bowl. I can't pick them to win seven games. They, they can't do anything. And then on the other side of the field, you have Cincinnati, who's also 0-1, as we talked about. They're desperate for a win. I think it's an advantage to be home on a Thursday night because, obviously, no travel involved in the short week. You get a little bit more practice time. Uh, Andy Dalton, though, against the Ravens. 16-31, I believe, buck 70. Four interceptions, part of a five-turnover day for the Bengals' offense. And then on top of that, Joe Mixon, who they drafted in the second round, everybody said from a talent standpoint, he's a steal. They gave him eight carries. He had nine yards. That's not good. So two teams that were incredibly offensively challenged last week going against each other. But I like the Bengals more so than the Texans to be able to shake off the rust a little bit more. I just think there's more talent on the Bengals. Yeah, I mean – the, the difference between these two teams right now is that the Texans actually scored points. And so far in the 2017 season, Cincinnati has not scored a single point. That's going to change on a Thursday because the Texans, they've got a good defense. I think that's going to start changing. They're going to start. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Turning that around, we're going to see the defense respond a little bit more than they did in week one, especially against you know Andy Dalton's offense. But there are weapons in Cincinnati that could work out. I'm picking the Bengals to win, too. I just think that the way that Houston's playing – off that week one loss that was bad and there's just nothing there that gives me any sort of confidence that they're going to turn it around yeah I mean and and I'll leave it at this I think the Bengals win I think they cover Um, the Bengals have a very good defensive line the Texans allowed 10 sacks at home (laughs) to Jacksonville at home you have no crowd noise to deal with and you've been preparing for this team for a month and they still don't have Dwayne Brown who's holding out look the Texans and again I'll leave it right here with them their next four games at Cincinnati Thursday night at New England home to Tennessee home to Kansas City on Sunday night I will be stunned if they're better than one and four and frankly I might be mildly surprised if they're better than zero and five because that quarterback situation is as bad as any in the NFL except maybe for another team in the AFC South the Indianapolis Colts Colts are home to Arizona. Arizona, despite being 0-1, a 7.5-point favorite on the road. 
Josh, I would argue that the Colts have the worst roster in the NFL when Andrew Luck isn't on the field. When he's on the field, he makes up for some weaknesses. But when he's not there, like he's not going to be this week, you could make an argument that the Jets could put it on the Colts a little bit. I would not want to watch that game. I would not want to see how that turns out. The Colts and the Jets, they can go play on Mars, and you can report back. But the, the, to the point about Andrew Luck, yes, he does solve some of the problems that we saw Scott Tolzien unable to solve or sometimes create himself with those pick sixes. And says, well, you know, he just got our ass handed to us by the 49ers. Well, and you, you didn't, Chuck. You got, you got beat by the Rams, right state, wrong team. Uh, I just think it's over. I, I think Chuck Pagano look, seems like a great guy. God bless him for beating cancer, but it's it's done in Indianapolis. I think I think that's on its course. I know they had three straight years there at the beginning of Luck's career where they they ascended in the playoffs each season, ended up in the AFC title game uh, in 2014. But we're, we're talking ancient history. They haven't made the playoffs the last two years, and they're getting worse. And part of that, yeah, is the roster, but part of it is Pagano just can't coach. I mean, 46 points, 46 points. And who the hell thought Scott Tolzien was going to go in there and be competent? You know, I'm not, I'm not certain that anybody should be exonerated of blame in Indianapolis. But to me, Pagano's got to be the first guy out the door. And then you start working through a roster that has eroded to a juncture where even with luck, this is maybe a five or six win team. I wonder if Jim Ursay kind of knew that this was going to be coming, that Andrew Luck's health was going to be a question coming into the season, that the team is barely something that you want to put on a football field on Sundays. And he kept Pagano around so that then when everything goes off the rails, like it looks like it's going to, then he can just cut Pagano loose and kind of kept that. Instead of you know getting rid of Grigson and Pagano at the same time, he kind of keeps Pagano around as a sacrificial lamb of sorts. But again, that's that's to say that Ursay knows what he's doing, which I don't think he does. Yeah, that's my problem with that. Is that, <laughs> that would mean Jim Ursay is, is paying attention. And since that hasn't been the case in about 25 years, um, I don't, the Colts are the, are the Knicks of the NFL. That's bold. <laughs> like they are, and that's not, really it's not are. wrong like, either. The Colts have this unbelievable talent at quarterback. Like, let, let's just be honest, okay? The Colts won a Super Bowl in 1970. They had Johnny Unitas, great team. After that, from Baltimore into Indianapolis, they were, for the most part, a rotting dumpster fire for the better portion of 30 years. They happened to get the number one pick in the draft that had Peyton Manning. They lucked into that. They only managed to win one Super Bowl mm. with Peyton Manning. And by the way, they also played in the division for years. It was god-awful. Okay, Then, by some stroke of luck... Manning gets hurt, misses a year. Okay, bum deal. You end up with the number one overall pick. It's in a year when you get Andrew Luck, and they can't do anything. They are the most blessed franchise on the face of the earth, and because of crappy ownership and horrendous front office decision-making, they now find themselves a seven-and-a-half-point underdog at home to a team in the Cardinals that's coming off of a 35-23 loss in Detroit. Cardinals were favored in that game as well. Okay. David Johnson has got a wrist injury. We don't know the situation yet. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. We don't know if he's going to play or not. Okay, Carson Palmer, 27-48, 269, a touchdown, and three interceptions, including a pick six. He looked bad. That's where the Colts are now. That team that I just described is favored by over a touchdown in their belt. 
And where do the Colts go from here? I mean, you think about the long-term plan. Like, yeah, it's easy to dog them now for giving up 46 points to Los Angeles. But what? let's say they fire Pagano. What then? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is the job that's going to bring Nick Saban back to the NFL. John Gruden's coming back. The same old, you know, tropes that you go into. Who's going to want that job knowing that you're not going to have full control of the front office because they have a general manager there? Jim Irsay is still the owner of the team who, you know— not to directly compare him to Dolan like you, but it's pretty close. You know, you go into a situation where you know you're, you're going to be the third guy on the rung. So what coach, other than a coach who wants to come up and make a name for himself, is going to take that job? And that kind of puts them in the same rut that they're in now, where it's, they're trying to figure it out. How can we win while Andrew Luck's window is still open? And it's now starting to close. You know, I was reading something this offseason where he was getting compared to uh, Dan Fouts, the Dan Fouts of this generation, which Dan Fouts is a great quarterback. Dan Fouts never won a Super Bowl. Man, never even got to a Super Bowl. I will, uh, to wrap up on this game as we move on, I will take the Cardinals not only to win but to cover. I think they will beat Indianapolis by three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough that the Cardinals have another road game, but it's barely a road game. I mean, God, barely if, a game. If, if David Johnson, <laughs> there's ever a week he's got to rest. This is it. Uh, so now let's move on. Minnesota at Pittsburgh. Uh, rematch of Super Bowl nine for the, uh, for the veteran folks listening to this podcast. Uh, we've not seen Minnesota play yet. They'll play tonight against the Saints. But for me, the question is, can that defense slow down Pittsburgh? Could be a tough matchup for the Steelers. The Vikings do get a lot of pressure. They don't have to blitz to do it. Mike Zimmer was a, with the Bengals for years. He's very familiar with the Steelers. Uh, I'm curious to see you know, Xavier Rhodes, Harrison Smith in that secondary. And Le'Veon Bell, maybe not all the way back. He only had 10 carries in, in Cleveland for 32 yards, had a trio of receptions. I think the Vikings kind of match up well. So, you know, Sam Bradford's not a down-the-field thrower, but he's very accurate against a defense that typically doesn't play all that tight of coverage. Um, Pittsburgh's laying a touchdown here, and I, I think Minnesota might be able to give them a pretty good game, even on the road. Yeah, I mean, on the way that the Steelers played against the Browns, I think it's going to rattle some people in a way that it probably shouldn't because week one, they come out of the gate. You know, there's going to be teams that – try some things that maybe wouldn't work later on in the season, but do in week one. So the Browns, they played that game a little bit closer. I think it says more about Cleveland than it does about Pittsburgh. And we're going to find that out against Minnesota, who is a good team, who they have a good defense. And can Le'Veon Bell come out and be the runner that he really kind of wasn't in the first week? We saw Antonio Brown go nuts. You know, he got his 182 yards or something like that. But, you know, the Vikings' defense is really good, and I want to see how they play on the road against another playoff team, Super Bowl contender. You know, they, they fell off a cliff last year. It was real tough to determine what they were moving forward. This is going to be a game where I think we're going to get a good indicator of where they're going to go the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Look, they started 5-0 and last year, finished 8-8, and and the Vikings have talent. Mm-hmm. You know, now, offensively, I'm not overwhelmed. Unless Dalvin Cook comes in and he's just terrific off the jump, I'm not overwhelmed by their, their skill position players offensively. But uh, defensively, the, the Vikings are you know, top five defense. They can play. They can get after you in a multitude of ways. And I think Zimmer's a really good coach. I, I don't think they've had a ton around him yet. Uh, and I, I think... I think yet still this team's always in games. I think Pittsburgh's going to win just because it's at home. If it was in Minnesota, I'd probably pick the Vikings. I think the Vikings will cover. I wouldn't be shocked if Minnesota wins this game. Like I said, I just think it's a bad matchup in some ways for the Steelers. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out. You know, And Minnesota, of course, like we said, uh, recording this on a Monday afternoon, they play the Saints tonight. 
Uh, we'll see if they can get to 1-0. They are at home. I, I think they have a good opportunity to do the show. I'm very close to picking the Vikings on this one, but I'm going to go with the Steelers. I do. I, I agree with you, though. I think this is going to be kind of like that Seahawks-Vikings playoff game <clears throat> from a couple of years ago where it was a very low-scoring game. It was a really gritty type of defensive game. It's not going to be a pretty game of football to watch, but it's going to be closer than people think. And I think Minnesota, even if they lose, it's going to be a game where we're going to get a very good idea of if they can hang with a playoff contender or if this is going to be more of the same like we saw the latter half of last season. Staying in the AFC North, Cleveland at Baltimore. Uh, another pretty large spread. Baltimore favored by 7.5. Uh, you know, look, we saw week one, Cleveland lost by a field goal to the, to the uh, Steelers, rather. And Deshaun Kaiser in his first start looked okay. Yeah, he threw for a couple hundred yards, uh, didn't make any huge mistakes, did throw one pick to T.J. Watt, but other than that, played, played reasonably well. Um, but I think this could get ugly for Kaiser. The Browns only rushed for 57 yards on 25 carries uh, against Pittsburgh. It's 2.3 yards uh, an attempt. And the Ravens are beasts up front. They are a very, very good front. Brandon Williams, of course, leading the charge at the nose. Um, I think the Browns are going to struggle offensively in this game. Baltimore, of course, coming off of that shutout against Cincinnati. I don't think they'll shut the Browns out, but I do think the Browns are going to throw in every yard they get. Uh, yeah, the Browns' defense, you know, granted they gave up 182 yards to Antonio Brown, but um, it, it, it didn't look that bad against the Steelers it's a young unit they didn't have Miles Garrett so you, we didn't really see a complete team on defense but it was a unit that really went out and gave you some confidence that you could go and say oh yeah this might be something and I think we're going to see again this week if that can develop or if this was just a case of it was the week week one yips and you know they just happened to get lucky you know you mentioned that yeah, Antonio Brown had a huge game but the rest of the Steelers didn't do anything mm-hmm. Bell, like I said, I think he went for 47 all-purpose yards. Other than Brown, they didn't even throw for 100 yards the entire rest of the team. So I thought Cleveland played really well defensively. And look, one thing about the Ravens, they're very well coached. They're very good defensively. Dean Pease, excellent coordinator. The Raven fans should be encouraged because I think that defense is legitimate. The problem is Joe Flacco completed nine passes on Sunday. Okay? And this is, this is 2017. This is in 1956. You need to complete more than nine passes. You need to be completing probably triple of that, at least double of it. Um, Flacco looks like a bottom third quarterback right now in the NFL, and their offensive line's not great. Uh, the receivers are good. The running backs aren't. They have no tight end. Uh, I'm concerned Baltimore offensively. I just don't see it. I think they'll beat the Browns. I don't think they're going to cover. I think the Browns are going to cover the spread. Um, I think it'll be a game that is a game in the fourth quarter, but I think Baltimore will win get to 2-0, and and really, you know, like last year, Baltimore started out 3-0, and was never really that impressive throughout the year, but were seconds away from winning the AFC North last year, so I expect the Ravens to get themselves to 2-0 and in this game, and the Browns continue to rack up some moral victories. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Uh, it's going to be a moral victory for the Browns. It's going to be a lot closer than, than a lot of people are expecting, and I think this is going to be a, another step for Cleveland where they don't win, but they show that they have you know what it takes to be a good defensive team the the offense is coming along there's weapons there maybe we see a little bit more of that it's tough because the Ravens defense is so good but they get Indianapolis a week after this so one and two is not a bad start and then they get the the Bengals and then they get the Jets and then the Texans so this could be kind of the last time where we doubt the Browns and we look back at this game and say you know maybe they beat Indianapolis play Cincinnati close beat the Jets beat the Texans and we go it was, a, you know, the first two games against Pittsburgh and Baltimore 
we really started to see something. And then those weeks after that, it all started to come through. They really started to put it together. The Browns are going to put it on the Colts. And that game's <laughs> in Indianapolis. The oh, Browns, if, if, if it's still the Scott Tolzien show, look out. Uh, all right, let's move on to two teams here that, that looked very good week one. The Eagles at the Chiefs, home opener for Kansas City, coming off uh, you know the, the long extended week off here as they played Thursday night in New England. Chiefs favored by four and a half in this game. Uh, start with the road team. Carson Wentz, I, I actually just finished watching the, the tape of that game. He looked better on Sunday against the Redskins. He threw for over 300 yards. He did throw a handful of passes, let's say three or four balls, that very easily could have been intercepted. Um, that's one thing in Kansas City you don't want to do. They led the league last year in interceptions. They're a very much ball-hawking secondary, even without Eric Berry, the all-pro safety, who ruptured his Achilles. Uh, but, but look, Philadelphia goes into this game. Doug Peterson, head coach, you know, he came over from Kansas City. He and Andy Reid worked together. Peterson was his quarterback in Philly first year there. So a lot of familiarity between these two teams. And it'll be a very interesting, good test for Philly on the road, second week in a row, going into Arrowhead. Yeah, it, this is going to be a good game. And I didn't when I saw this on the schedule, I just kind of chalked it up as a win for the Chiefs. And granted, the Chiefs played a lot better in Week 1 than most people thought, not me because I picked them to win. But the, the Eagles, I don't, I don't think that they're going to go into Arrowhead and win. But again, I go back to games last year for the Chiefs against Tampa Bay, against Jacksonville, against Tennessee, all games that were in Arrowhead against teams they should have beat. And they lose to Tampa Bay. They lose to Tennessee. They almost lose to Blake Bortles and the Jaguars. I wonder what the absence of Eric Berry is going to be for the Chiefs in this game. You mentioned uh, that they're a deep team at safety, which is good. Eric Berry is still going to be a voice in the locker room, a leader in the sideline, which is important. And that's a big part of what he brings to Kansas City. Um, Is Carson Wentz smart enough to figure out the Chiefs' defense without Eric Berry? who, you know, they only have, I mean, they do have a longer week to prepare without him, but their game plan for the season has been Eric Berry's going to be there. Now he's not. It's a different-looking defense. I just don't think Carson Wentz is there to try to figure it out. I think it's, I think it's a tough spot. Look, you know, anyone who listens to this, I'm sure knows I'm a Chiefs fan. I, I've followed him for you know, 25 years, and I'll say this. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Like, they had some games last year in Arrowhead. They were really shaky. And they lost a couple of games. Frankly, they probably shouldn't have lost. They almost lost one to Jacksonville. That almost put me in, uh, into a catatonic state. But like, that being said, Arrowhead's going to be rocking and rolling after their performance mm-hmm. in New England. That is going to be a loud, excited crowd in that game. Uh, I expect the Chiefs to play well. Uh, I think, you know, they'll be focused. Andy Reid, of course, is going to want to beat his old team. Second time he's played against them, he played against them his first year in Kansas City. Actually, they went to Philly on a Thursday night game. They won. Um, the big question for me is, look, the Chiefs, everybody wants to talk about Alex Smith's 368 yards, and they want to talk about Kareem Hunt. And, and that's all great. That, if, you're, if you're a Kansas City fan, that's great. They looked awesome. The thing I want to talk about is their offensive line. They dominated New England up front in that game. There were huge holes for Hunt all night. Smith had all day to throw the football. Okay, this is not New England's front seven. Philadelphia has a very good front. Brandon mm-hmm. Graham, Fletcher Cox, Vinnie Curry, uh, Derek Barnett. They can play. Okay, Timmy Jernigan. This is a very, very good, versatile front. And, and defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz brings a lot of blitzes. He's unique. I expect the Eagles to try to do everything they can to get pressure on Smith and to sack him, to force him into mistakes. I think that's where this game comes down to. If Kansas City's offensive line can deal with the Eagles, I think the Eagles are in a lot of trouble because Ronald Darby's not playing. Mm-hmm. He's got an ankle injury. 
they have nobody who's guarding Tyreek Hill one-on-one. They have nobody who I believe is going to handle Kelsey one-on-one. They're going to probably double him. Hunt out of the backfield, five catches last week, 98 yards, pair of touchdowns. If the Chiefs pick up their blitz, I think the Eagles are in, are in deep trouble in this game. If they don't and the Eagles can, can stop the run game and hit Smith, then it becomes very interesting. Uh, I think the Chiefs are going to win the game. Four and a half, I think that line's right on. I'll take the Eagles to cover. I think it'll be around a four-point game if I had you know, maybe something like 23-19. Um, I think the Chiefs will win, but I think the Eagles are a good test for the Chiefs, and I, I think this will be one of the better games of the week. I've got the Chiefs to win too, but the Eagles, This I feel like this could come down to a game like it did against Tampa Bay last year or you know Tennessee or a couple of other games, even games that they played on the road where Alex Smith makes a mistake at the wrong time and that's just the one little thing that needs to happen to completely turn the game against the Chiefs. I don't know if that'll happen. Uh, the defense looked good to me against New England. I have confidence. Uh, Philadelphia's offense was pretty good against Washington. You know, Nelson Aguilar came alive. Elshon Jeffries there. Zach Ertz is always a threat. But, you know, even without Eric Berry, you know, Marcus Peters is probably the best cornerback in football. Philip Gaines looked good. So I think Philadelphia is going to play to win in ways that we aren't really expecting. I think they're going to come out and be tricky and cute like the Chiefs were against the Patriots. I don't think it's going to work. Kansas City is going to win. I will say this for Philadelphia. They better run the ball. Because mm-hmm. they, they had a very bad balance offensively, and I, I the numbers are escaping me, but I believe Wentz, uh, he, I know he threw 38 times. I feel like they called 40 or 42 pass plays, and they, they only ran the ball 20 times, 21 times. That's not going to work in Kansas City. I know Eric Berry's out, but Peters takes away half the field, and the Chiefs do have a healthy Justin Houston, D Ford, Chris Jones. If Philadelphia finds themselves in third and long in this game, it's, it's going to be a long afternoon. The, the Eagles have to run the football better than they did in Washington to win. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, moving over to a full-blown NFC matchup, you have the Bears at your Bucks, and Bucks favored by 5.5 in the game. Uh, of course, Tampa didn't play the first week. Hurricane Irma wiping that one away. Uh, so now you guys open at home, and you welcome in a familiar face, and uh, Mike Glennon, yeah. and I'll let you uh, take the floor on this game. Yeah, uh, I think that the week off, it's not really going to affect the Bucks that much. Like I had them winning this game even, you know, no matter what, it's the Bears. And gr- even with what happened in Chicago on Sunday with the Bears almost beating the Falcons, we can chalk that up to the Super Bowl hangover, playing on natural grass with that offense for the Falcons, not being able to move like it should, whatever. Mike Glennon, this is a team that he's been practicing against for years. Okay, they know Mike Glennon. There's a reason Mike Glennon is not starting. There's a reason Mike Glennon was not the choice when Jameis Winston was big. You know, there's a reason he's not in Tampa anymore. He's not that good. And these guys know him. And it's just, I don't think that we're going to see a game where the Buccaneers blow the Bears out of the water. I think this is going to be a very nice easing into the season for Tampa Bay. The defense is going to probably make some mistakes. I think Tarek Cohen is the guy who's going to give them some headaches because he you know every year the bucks play these teams and you get really excited about their defensive front you're like oh Gerald mccoy's up there we got some big guys some beefy guys noah spence on the end the linebackers quan alexander levante david are really good and somehow running backs just kind of punch through them like swiss cheese so they got a good pass rush that's great 
Uh, Tarek Cohen kind of scares me a little bit. I think he's going to get his again. I don't know if he's going to repeat his performance against the Falcons. I think it'll be kind of similar, but it's all going to come down to Mike Glennon. And we saw in week one when the game's on the line and Mike Glennon's your quarterback, you can take 15 shots at the end zone. It's going to end with him getting sacked and the time running off the clock. Uh, I, I, I think the Bears really deserve a lot of credit for playing as well as they did against Atlanta. The fact that they were even in position to try to win that game, they deserve a lot of props mm-hmm. because Atlanta is an excellent football team. I think what's going to happen to the Bears in this game should be blacked out in Chicago. Uh, reason being, they have no receivers. Yeah. Cam Meredith out for the year 20 is yeah. They cut Victor Cruz, fine, fair enough. I think his career is pretty much done at this point. Okay. Marcus Wheaton, he was inactive last week. Kevin White broke his collarbone, out for the year. Who is catching the ball in Chicago? So and, and you have a, a very good secondary all of a sudden in Tampa. You got T.J. Ward on the back end. Okay, he's more of a thumper, fine and fair enough. But you have Vernon Hargraves. Mm-hmm. You you have Brent Grimes, and the Buccaneers can get after you now. I don't think Kyle Long is expected to play in this game for the Bears. That's a big loss, especially with Gerald McCoy on the other side of the line. Noah Spence, Levante David, Quan Alexander. We've talked about this. I think the national perspective on Tampa is that they're this big offensive team that can't play defense. When in reality, it's a complete opposite mm-hmm. of that. Tampa's a very, very good defensive team. Mike Smith, maybe not a great head coach. He's a hell of a coordinator. Tampa Bay, I expect to put up some points this game. The only way the Buccaneers lose this game is if Jameis Winston does some dumb crap and throws three picks. And, you know, I hate to say it, that's always on the table with Jameis. But I I think the Buccaneers come into this game focused. I think they come in ready. I really like what they they bring to the table. I think that the Bucs win. Like I said, favored by five and a half. I think they'll cover. I look for the Buccaneers to get off to a nice start to the year. Yeah, the Jameis Winston cloud is going to be hanging over the Bucks all season long. It's, it's the Brett Favre thing. It's the Eli Manning thing. If he's really good, if he is able to limit his mistakes, holy cow, is that offense going to be good. But he's going to try to force things in that we saw it in the preseason against Cleveland. We saw it in that horrible throw against Jacksonville. He makes these throws that he shouldn't make, and he knows he shouldn't make these throws. And yet here he is making them. So, I th- you know, no matter how much people chirp at him that he needs to stop, he needs to cut down on the mistakes, they're still going to happen. I think playing against the Bears, this is a good team where I don't think the mistakes will kill you so much as I think, you know, we previewed the Miami game. Had it happened, that's a game I'm a little bit more nervous sure. about. I think the Bucks come out and win, especially because the Bears, you asked who, who uh, Mike Glennon's throwing to, Deontay Thomas, Trey McBride. Enjoy that, Chicago. You can't see my face right now, but it is not <laughs> one of pleasure. So, yeah, um, I'm taking Tampa Bay, not only because of the receiver situation, just because I think Tampa Bay is the better team. I feel, I feel like Jameis almost like, you know, for anybody who's listening who, who doesn't know me personally, you know, I, uh, I'm expecting to you know, be a father here in the next couple of weeks for the first time. I feel like Jameis gets me ready for fatherhood because I feel like Jameis <laughs> is like that kid who you're like, listen, you can't have a cookie before dinner. You cannot. You just cannot go near the cookies. But if if you just wait, if you're patient, I'll give you the whole sleeve of Oreos. Okay, and then you look over, and that kid's just like a dog. And that kid starts creeping mm-hmm. over, creeping over, creeping. And for sure enough, thirty seconds before dinner time, that kid just jams his face right into the right into the cookie jar. I feel like that's Jameis in a lot of ways. But uh, actually, perfect segue. We go from the first overall pick a couple years ago to the second overall pick, Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans. They are on the road to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, by the way, are in first place all alone in the AFC South. Somebody, my God, abolish that division. It is a pick 'em. 
At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Uh, so basically Vegas saying that the Titans are a field goal better than Jacksonville on a neutral field. So, Tennessee, Jacksonville, it's the NFL on CBS, kind of. Thoughts? Uh, I actually think it's a little unfair that this is a pick for the Titans. You know, they went out and they didn't play that well against Oakland in the first week. There's some questions about, you know, how the coaching is going to go this year, especially when you come out and your first thing you do in the season is onside kick. Not even like subtly, you just blatantly onside kick. So I don't know if Malarkey wants to lose his job, but he's certainly trying. Uh, but Tennessee... I go back and forth between thinking this is unfair that it's a pick 'em, and then also realizing that Jacksonville's defense looked really, really good. Granted, it was against Houston, so I mean, I think we could go out there and maybe get a handful of sacks against the Houston offensive line. But Jacksonville, I said it in the off season, that defense is really, really good, and I think it's a top ten unit. They come out and play week one the way that they did. Blake Bortles manages to play just bad enough to be Blake Bortles, but just good enough to not screw things up. This is an interesting matchup to me in that does Tennessee rebound from a game that I thought they were going to be very competitive in and actually win in week one, or is this kind of the start of every year there's the team that is going to make the leap. They're going to make the leap, and then three weeks in, we're like, oh, yeah, maybe we were wrong about that. I I worry for Tennessee that if they lose this game or they play it too close, that they are that team that maybe we overestimated a little bit. You know, we always talk about, you know, what did you learn this week? What did you learn? What more information did you, did you glean from whatever you watched? And, you know, I think we, we talked at the top of the show. Week one, the one thing we both really felt we learned was that Houston's not good. Um, they have major, major issues with the quarterback situation that they're probably not going to be able to overcome this season. I don't feel like I learned anything yet about the Titans because mm-hmm. I'm not a big preseason guy. I don't believe in all that. I think preseason's a waste of time as far as you know being something that portends what's going to happen in the future. I'll say this. Tennessee has been god-awful all year long. The preseason, they were horrendous. They couldn't score a point in three quarters with their starters against the Bears. They scored three points against the Jets. They scored six points against the Chiefs while giving up 30. They have looked brutal. And then... I was really looking forward to watching Tennessee in Oakland week one. I thought it would be one of the better games of the mm-hmm. week. And Mike Malarkey, <laughs> at home, does an onside kick to start the game. And then said something during the halftime interview. With, I, I forget the name of the sideline reporter with CBS, but said something that really struck me. I believe it was Tracy Walson. Said, we just felt like we had to steal a possession in this game. Okay, so now you're just basically telling me you don't think your team's any good. Or at least your team's not good enough to beat Oakland. And if your team's not good enough to beat Oakland, which nothing against the Raiders. They're a good team. But they're not New England, okay? They're, mm-hmm. they're not Green Bay. Like, if you feel like you have to steal a possession at home against the Raiders and you're supposed to be good, maybe you're not that good. In Jacksonville last week, 10 sacks. Calais Campbell had five of them. So he looks like he might be a pretty good addition. I think Jacksonville is going to give them problems in this game because Jacksonville can play defense. Now, the one thing – with the Jaguars, we have no idea what Blake Bortles are going to do in this game. Mm-hmm. Now, the Titans don't have a very good secondary. 
but you have no idea. Bortles could go into this game, and he could throw for 350 yards. He could also go into this game and throw five picks in the first half. I have no idea. This game's hard for me. I'm going to stay with the Titans only because I do think the Titans are the better team, and I think they're desperate to win this game after a week one loss, and I think they get it. But, you know, I don't think Jacksonville's good, but I don't know if Tennessee's good. So this is a very interesting game, but I'll, I'll take the Titans in the pick I'm concerned about Tennessee from what I saw on Sunday. Again, not to keep harping on Malarkey, but I think he's going to start to deserve it if they keep playing this way. You have DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry, a really solid, beefy one-two punch out of the backfield. And I don't know how many times we were watching that game in the office and we saw DeMarco Murray swing to the outside. You know, it's, you run him up the middle. You are playing a team that has a weak defensive front. You're not going to take DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry and just pound them down, you know, Oakland's throat, which Oakland did with Marshawn Lynch, and they won. There was times in that game where Oakland needed to put the game away. They gave it to Lynch, and he put it away. So, again, Jacksonville's defensive front, very, very good from what we saw in week one. It was against Houston. What does that mean? I think we'll find out. But Malarkey and the coaching staff – that is a concern for me. If they continue to make decisions like not running the ball the right way, like onside kicking to start the season. Like, what are you doing? I think, you know, and just to wrap up on, on Tennessee, on Sunday they had 21 rushing attempts and 41 passes. And you could say, well, they were trailing. They were trailing most of that game by a field goal mm-hmm. or six points. So what? Run the ball. That's who you are. That was their advantage. Their advantage is not throwing that. Look, Marcus Mariota, a lot of people think he's going to be a great player, and he may be. But right now, he's not a great quarterback. He's good. He's okay. He's fine. But he's not. Marcus Mariota, you do not want to get into a just an absolute you know, Wild West duel with Mariota. You want to mm-hmm. run the ball if you're Tennessee. You want to control the clock. They didn't do that. And, you know, it wasn't as though they weren't running the ball effectively when they did run. They were averaging four and a half yards of carry. Mm-hmm. They just didn't run the ball. I was, I was shocked, and I think Tennessee gets back to basics this week. I, at least I hope so. If not, they could be on too. Yeah, I, I got Tennessee in this game. So, another interconference game, the Bills at the Panthers. Panthers favored by an even touchdown. And, of course, both these teams coming in 1-0. and The Bills, they were competent against the Jets. We know that the Bills are in, in pretty much full-on tank mode. But they played well against the Jets in Orchard Park. 190 rushing yards, average over five yards a clip. 224 passing yards out of Tyrod Taylor. Still, though, for Buffalo, I feel like this is a a major step up in class for a team that is probably not going to win many games this year. Yeah. uh, They got the win out of the way early, I think, is how you can see that. And if they don't beat the Jets, they've got bigger problems than we think. But we've said it a million times, and we're going to continue to say it and hear it a million times as the season goes on. The Bills are not going to be good. They know they're not going to be good, and they're fine with that. They're doing this the right way. They're tearing things down. They've got a boatload of draft picks coming up. They think they have the right head coach in place. This season is really just about kind of transitioning into the future. And I think, I guess if you want your storyline heading into this week, it's McDermott playing against, or coaching against Rivera and his old team in Carolina. But I, I, I focus more on the Panthers in this matchup because they're, they're a real possibility of starting out 2-0 in a very, very tough NFC South. The Bucks haven't played yet. I'm assuming that they're going to win, but they're still behind in the division by default. The Saints, who knows what they're going to be. The Falcons, there's a very 
real possibility that they start the season with a split because they got to play Green Bay in week two. Do they win? Maybe they're one and one. All of a sudden, you know, you beat Buffalo, you're two and oh, you're leading the NFC South. This is a pattern we've seen with Carolina before where we doubt them. Oh, maybe they're not a good team. They're starting out one and three. Ron Rivera's on the hot seat. They finished the season, I think it was 2015, 11 and one, win the division. Oh, they're not really good in 2015 or whatever it was when they limp into the playoffs with a sub 500 record or close to it, win their wild card game, move on to the divisional round. Next year, oh, they're not that great. Cam Newton's not a good quarterback. Ron Rivera doesn't know what he's doing. MVP, first seed in the playoffs, go to the Super Bowl. This is what they do. So, again, and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't think Carolina is a good team. So it's this, it's this repeat, it's, you know, rinse and repeat with Carolina. I think they win. I think they get to 2-0 in the division. I'm still not convinced they're a good team. And maybe that says more about me than it does about the Panthers. I like the Panthers. I, I think, you know, they've got a really good defense, I think, especially in the front seven. The offensive line, if it's healthy, is better. Trey Turner and Andrew Norwell are good, good interior linemen. Uh, but I have my concerns. They need more out of Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Cam Newton did not play well in San Francisco. He threw a pick. He could have thrown a couple more. He was uh, pretty average, to say the least. And, you know, Christian McCaffrey didn't do a lot in that game, which is okay. He's a rookie. But Newton has to be better. They have too many weapons on this team. And, listen, we, you know, I, I got made fun of in our fan side office for the entire year a couple of years ago. And I mm-hmm. continuously said, Cam Newton is not a good quarterback. I don't care if he's winning the MVP. He's not good. He's having the year of his life. Cam Newton's not that good of a quarterback. He is, in my opinion, a very, very average player. He's a, he not, he's a great athlete, and he has a great arm, but he's not a great quarterback. He's not accurate a lot of times. And everybody says, well, his weapons. Well, he's got Kelvin Benjamin. He's got Greg Olson. Now he has McCaffrey. You could do worse. You could do much worse. So the Panthers have to do better than that. That being said, the defense is really good against San Francisco, allowed only 3.4 yards per carry, and I don't think the Bills have enough here, not even near enough, to get this thing done. Panthers, favorites by seven. I'll take them to win in a cover. I think Carolina moves to 2-0. and And I think Carolina is, is a potential playoff team, but they need Newton, who is coming off shoulder surgery, to step his game up and be better here as the year rolls along. Yeah, the one thing that... The one of the reasons I picked San Francisco to win in week one was because Cam Newton was coming off that injury. And we saw clearly that he's not all the way back. He's still coming. He's still working his way back from that, from that injury in the offseason. But, you know, the, he, he'll, he'll come back. He'll bounce back. I think they'll be fine. I'll save my Calvin Benjamin takes for another day. I, you know, being the Buccaneers fan, I'll, I'll keep it to myself. But, you know, Panthers, I do think that they're going to win 2-0 in the division. That's going to be big time for them. Speaking of the NFC South, another team, New Orleans hosting New England. New England, four-and-a-half-point favorite. I find this game very compelling. Of course, again, we don't know what the Saints are going to do tonight against Minnesota, uh, but really the result doesn't affect my opinion of this game. New England played badly in week one, uh, 42 points allowed, over 530 yards, the most Belichick team has ever allowed um, in both those categories. But – the Patriots scored against a very good defense, 27 points. Brady was 16 of 36 for 267 yards in that game, no touchdowns. They still scored 27. Okay, most teams would be thrilled to death to score 27 points, and people are asking, what's wrong? Is Brady done? Mm-hmm. He's not done, and I could see him putting up 500 yards in this game. The question for me is with the Pats, what about the defense? I like the corners. Everywhere else on this defense – 
And we've talked about this before the Chiefs games. This isn't a Johnny-come-lately take. Their, their front seven's not good. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder about that against the Saints offense. Look, if there's one thing the Saints can do, they can score points. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's this thing. We heard it before with Tom Brady. Last time the Chiefs beat him, actually. Oh, is he done? The dynasty's over. Hope you enjoyed it while it lasted. It's, it's Tom Brady. He's the greatest quarterback probably of all time. Okay, let's let's calm down before we start doubting him being able to come back and rebound from a very bad loss. You remember there is a touchdown to Rob Gronkowski that got called back on a penalty against the Chiefs. Maybe that changes the game a little bit if that doesn't get called back. There's a lot that there's there's a lot to New England. Okay, and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. If there's two people in the NFL that know you don't win a Super Bowl in Week One, you peak in December, January, February, they're going to be fine. I do agree with you, though, that there are problems on that defense. You know, I said it to you on Sunday. It's not a Belichick problem. It's a Patricia problem. He better figure something out because that pass rush looked bad against the Chiefs. And, you know, Drew Brees is getting up there in age, but he can move. And if, you know, you say that Tom Brady might throw for 500 yards, he might need to throw for 500 yards. He might. Because, you know, there's going to be Drew Brees there throwing for 495. This is going to be a really intriguing game to me. I think that the, the Patriots, they bounce back. If they do lose, I think we are in a lull, kind of like we were with the, uh, the relax era, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Packers team, where they went into a bit of a funk, and then they came out and were probably the best team in football down the stretch. The defense is what scares me. Tom Brady doesn't play defense. He got 27 points. Defense let him down. Is that going to happen again? Uh. I think the Pats will win. I think they'll cover. I do think the game is fairly close. Look, I, if they lose, the, the five-alarm fire in Bristol <laughs> is just going to be unbelievable. Like, I can't even imagine what, the, what Monday's show are. They might have to dedicate a whole crappy first-take show just for that alone. It's going to be like that uh, This Is Sports Center commercial with Charlie Steiner. Follow me to freedom. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it really, it's going to be unbelievable. Um, but I think they'll win. Uh, you know, but there are problems in New England. I, not problems like, oh my God, they're not good. They're a good team. They, in my opinion, are still the best team. But there are problems. And I think, look, it needs to be said. The Chiefs have proven that they're the kryptonite um, until January <laughs> when, you know, things go south. Um, going back to, actually, this is the one game we're going to have here where neither team has played yet. Miami at the Chargers. Chargers favored by the three points, uh, getting, getting the home love there. We haven't seen either of them, uh, so we really don't know, you know, what to expect. But we'll, you know, give it a few thoughts anyway. The Dolphins have been in California all week long, and so you know, of course, now they're going to be out here a whole another week. They're going to be waiting to play this game. They've been practicing in Oxnard, where the Cowboys had their training camp. How much are the Dolphins affected by having to be away from home while all this is going on with Hurricane Irma back home? How much does it impact how they play on Sunday in their opener? I think it weighs on them pretty heavily. Uh, I think what helps them is being out west as long as they have. We hear this excuse all the time, oh, this East Coast team went west, and it's the time difference, and it's screwed with them. You know, we heard it on Sunday with Arizona. Oh, man, they came from Arizona all the way up to Detroit. You really have to you know, factor in the time difference. No, you don't. They're professional athletes. They should have to already adjust for the time difference. I think that that only helps that Miami's been out there long enough. Um, I just... How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. 
it, it's really hard to say what Miami is. We haven't seen Jay Cutler. We haven't seen how he's going to work in those weapons. He definitely has them. Jarvis Landry, you know, they're out there. Uh, to me, Los Angeles, it's the Chargers. Philip Rivers, can he bring this all together? Because you have Anthony Lynn, who is, you know, used to be a running back. He's a big running back guy. Melvin Gordon, big time. This could be a big season for him. I want to see how that offense works because we've seen Philip Rivers make something out of nothing with all of the injuries over the years. I think that he does it again against Miami, and I think that it's a tough start to the season for the Jay Cutler era. Yeah, look, I think the Chargers here, they're an interesting team. They're the one team I really feel like I can't get my finger on the pulse of. Their offensive line's terrible, but I love the rest of the offense. The defense, they've got two really good pass rushers. They've got two good corners. I think the rest of the defense is pretty pretty subpar, honestly. Although, I will amend that. Corey Leeds, it's a very good player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Chargers have to get off on the right foot here. This is a very tough division. You know, there's been talk about, well, these teams are going to beat each other up. Look, after watching week one and just adding that to my original thoughts of these teams, Kansas City's going to win 11, 12, maybe 13 games. You know, that's, that might be a stretch. But I think Oakland, to be fair to the Raiders, you know what, that defense looked better. We're going to get to them next, so I won't go too into it. But I think the Raiders look better than I thought they would. Uh, I still think there are some holes. I still think against a good offensive team, the Raiders are going to get exploited. But – Give them credit. Look, I think I think if the Chargers want to compete with those two teams, you're looking at a minimum of having to win ten games, and I, I you have to beat the Dolphins at home. Like if you're going to do that, half a quarter of their season is the Raiders and the Chiefs, and another quarter of their season is Dallas, the Giants, Philly, mm-hmm. New England. Like you need to beat bad teams, and the Dolphins are not bad, but they're average, and you're at home against them. I'm going to take the Chargers to win this game. But even though it's only three points, I'm not going to take them to cover. I don't trust them. They have a habit of losing games like this. And I wonder with Adam Gase, with so much time to prepare, can he take advantage of them? Like the Dolphins, the biggest wild card is Cutler. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what he's going to do. Cutler throughout his career has games where he throws for 400 yards, and he also has games where he throws for four picks. But I'll take the Chargers at home in a very close game. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Chargers too, just because you don't know what the Jay Cutler effect is gonna be. It's I feel like this is a game where he's gonna go out and have a poor showing, and then the hot take cannon's gonna be firing about, oh, Jay Cutler was the wrong guy to get, this this and that. It's Chargers are gonna win. All right, another AFC game: Jets at Raiders. Raiders are favored by 13 and a half, biggest line of the week, and deservedly so. <laughs> Look, let's just let's just get through this. Uh, the Jets are who we thought they were, uh, and the immortal. In the words of the immortal and late great Denny Green, they couldn't throw against the Bills. McCown threw for two picks. They couldn't run against the Bills. They averaged less than, I believe, three yards of carry. They couldn't stop the run. They gave 190 yards on the ground. Okay, they're going into Oakland, who you know, got a Raiders fan base who is absolutely fired up and deservedly so. Uh, they, the Raiders look improved defensively. Again, as I just said, I, I don't think the Raiders are going to be a top unit or anything on defense, but... I'll give them credit where it's due. They, they played better against Tennessee. They weren't great in the game, uh, but they were solid. The offense controlled the pace, and it's a group that should only continue to improve. I like the Raiders to win this game, obviously, and frankly, I like the Raiders to maybe double this point spread. If the Raiders lose to the Jets, I don't think that there's a form of punishment greater for a Chiefs fan to give to the black hole and those Raiders fans, to watch them suffer and squirm through losing Josh McCown and whatever is going on in New York. If Oakland doesn't win this game, I mean, something happened. 
They're, they're going to win, like you said. I would be. It's not a matter of if they win. It's a matter of how many points are they going to score on the Jets before the Jets just you know throw up the mercy rule flag and leave town. I wouldn't mind just a close game. You know, just, <laughs> you know, just to see the sweat uh, glistening on the foreheads all the way here from Chicago. But another AFC West game, uh, or at least one team being involved in the AFC West, the Broncos hosting the Cowboys. Of course, again, we haven't seen the Broncos yet, but we saw the Cowboys last night. Uh, and the Cowboys on the road, favored by a point and a half. So Vegas giving them a lot of love, and deservedly so. Look, Dallas, the offense is ridiculous. You, you know you have Prescott mm-hmm. and Zeke and the best offensive line in the league. And you've got Des Bryant and Terrence Williams and Cole Beasley and Jason Witten. The Cowboys can beat you any way they want to beat you. They want to spread you out. They want to line up and run power. They want to go play action. They, they've got it. They can do it. Now, problem is, in this game, Von Miller lines up over the right tackle. And if there was one problem in that game offensively for Dallas, Lyle Collins struggled big time with Jason Pierre-Paul. Mm-hmm. If he struggled with him and his eight fingers, he's going to struggle with Von Miller and all <laughs> ten of his. Okay? So that's the one concern. I think if you're Dallas, you scheme that. And maybe a chip, you help out, whatever, you keep it back in. But that's one thing to watch. Uh, but I find this to be an interesting game. I really do. I think Dallas... Really, though, a good team. I, I, I picked them to win the division again, and I, I feel good about that pick one weekend. Yeah, D- Dallas is going to win this game. It's the defense in Denver and then nothing else. You know, you make, you make the joke pretty regularly about how the Raiders' defense is Khalil Mack and Ted Roadcones. The Broncos' entire team is the defense and then just a bunch of, you know, tackling dummies. I think, to me, what stood out to, from the, that Dallas offense was Dak Prescott, was, he started off slow. He did not play good to start that game. He got down in the red zone against the Giants. They drove, and then for some reason, they didn't just give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott to run it in. They had him throw, and he just was missing his receivers. Maybe it was because it was the first drive of the season. He had the yips. I don't know what it was. But the Broncos' defense is probably one of, if not the best defense in football. They're not a team you're going to want to struggle against. They're not a team you're going to want to start slow against. If they had any sort of an offense, that would be a problem. I think that that would be something that the Cowboys would have to really watch out for. I think, again, this is going to be a game where Dak Prescott maybe doesn't look spectacular, but they find a way to make it work. And if anything, whoever they throw out at quarterback for the Broncos, because I refuse to believe that whoever they throw out is an actual football player, um, it's, it's, that, that's what's going to end up bailing out the, the Cowboys because that defense looked really good against the Giants. I look forward to the game. I think it's interesting. I do think Dallas wins and covers. Uh, I just don't think the Broncos can do enough against Rod Marinelli and a very mm-hmm. well-coached defense to win the game. Dallas's personnel on defense, on defense, other than Sean Lee, is terrible. But it doesn't, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't hurt them as much as it would most teams because Marinelli's an excellent defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. Um, moving over to the NC side of things, another late game that day, uh, next Sunday, Washington at L.A. taking on the Rams. Rams favored by two and a half at home. Uh, look, I think this line's low, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he was awful on Sunday. You look at the stats. It was 23 of 40 against Philly. It's good defense. Philadelphia left so many receivers wide open in that game. He couldn't hit them. He wasn't even near them. There was one throw he made. James, Jameson Crowder was 15 yards clear of everybody on a crosser. He threw it like 10 yards over his head. It was hideous. And I wonder how much of that is not having Sean McVay there as their mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. You know, Cousins has had a charm life of offensive coordinators, McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have either one of them anymore. And McVay, who's, of course, now the head coach of the Rams, 
31 years old, so not, not doing a bad job in the NFL so far. He coaxed a 300-yard game out of Jared Goff. Jared Goff looked like a franchise quarterback. Now, it was against the Colts. <laughs> I understand that. I feel like every time the Colts get beat this year, I'm going to have to preface it by saying it Asterisk. was the Colts. Okay? But Jared Goff played the Niners last year, who won two games beating the Rams of all times, and he was awful. Mm-hmm. He looks very good against Indianapolis. Cooper Cup looked good. Sammy Watkins looked good. Gerald Everett looks good. I, I think the Rams, you know, and I'll be honest, I, I, didn't, I didn't like them going into the year. I thought maybe they'd be better but not good. I, I still get to see more because it's just week one and it was against a really bad team. But I, I kind of like what I saw out of the Rams for a long-term perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what happens when Jared Goff decides to stop being, you know, a broomstick with a wig on. Like, holy cow, 300 <laughs> yards. That's, that, that was something I did not expect Jared Goff to be able to do. I mean, maybe eventually. I thought maybe in a month. Yeah, yeah, maybe eventually, but not right off the bat. No, no, I mean it would take him a month. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I thought maybe, like, within, you know, if he played for a, a month, like, we would get the 300 yards. But what do you know? Jared Goff comes up big. And I'll, I'll digress, but he played really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Sean McVay coming over to, to Los Angeles, that's going to be big. And, oh, go figure, Kirk Cousins isn't worth the money that he demanded in Washington. You know, there's no person happier in the NFL right now than Daniel Snyder because he is the guy who did not want to pay Kirk Cousins. Everybody was laughing at him. You finally have a franchise quarterback, just pay him what he wants. And then he comes out the first week and lays an egg like he did. I don't know if they rebound this week. Maybe it was just something – it was a bad start to the season. But there's real concern if you're Washington and Kirk Cousins is the guy and he's missing wide-open receivers. That's not an offensive coordinator thing. That's, that's a Kirk Cousins thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's just – it's so bad watching him. He's been bad in the preseason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I expected when I turned on the, the game, I expected to see him under duress a lot. And, look, I'm not saying Philly didn't get some pressure. He, they sacked him four times. But he had plenty of time to throw on a lot of his, a lot of his dropbacks, and he just couldn't do anything. So I will take the Rams to win this game, and I will take them to cover. And I, I think the Rams – look, do I think they're going to win the division? No, I don't. But I, I think the Rams might be better than I thought. And depending on what Arizona looks like, maybe they can challenge for second in that division. I'm going to take the Rams, too, just because Washington's coming across the country. You know, we know how that affects teams as much as I hate that excuse. But and then Kirk Cousins looks the way that he looks. That offense is a mess. I feel like the storyline here very easily could be, you know, forked into two different directions where the Rams, they're 2-0. and Everybody starts freaking out. Oh, are they for real? You know, Jeff Fisher, look at what he's missing out on. Jeff Fisher's a meme again on Twitter and everything. And then on the other side of the field you've got is this uh, Gruden's last year in Washington – what's happening with Kirk Cousins, he's not worth the money, what's wrong, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, and I think that the catalyst for that is going to be the Rams coming out, maybe not dropping 46 points again, but definitely winning at home in front of all six people that decide to come out and see that thing. Yeah, nice crowd, by the way, in Los Angeles. You would shoot archery in the uh, upper deck. <laughs> that is just how the NFL moved two teams to that city. I will never get it. I will ne- you could sit there all day long and say, well, you know, St. Louis wasn't selling out. Yeah, because they sucked for a decade. How many cities sell out when they suck for a decade? Cleveland, okay, I should give, give them credit. But, I mean, not many teams, okay? Believe me, when the Jets are playing at home this year in December, good night. <laughs> they could sell blocks of seats. And by blocks, I mean like an entire section. Uh, moving on to a team, by the way, who had no fans at its game. The 49ers, 
at the Seahawks, home opener for Seattle. Seattle coming off that tough loss in Green Bay. Seahawks are laying 12 and a half. I will swallow the points. Give me the Seahawks. Go over this game quickly. Um, Seattle's just a much better team. I, I think that's pretty evident. I think they have the best defense in the NFL. Front seven, back end, terrific. Held the Packers in Lambeau to 17 points. The Packers, uh, Danny Kelly, the ringer, had the stat, and I, I thought it was great. Uh, one play all day in the red zone. So Seattle can get the job done. Uh, the, the biggest problem with Seattle is their offensive line. Mm-hmm. They, they belong on a milk carton. <laughs> Has anyone seen that offensive line? It, it is it is as bad an offensive line as there is in football. It really is. He, Wilson got sacked three times in Green Bay. We watched that game. Mm-hmm. It could have been a dozen. If he's not the escape artist that he is, there's no chance. You imagine if that was like Eli Manning. Oh, God. Good night. <laughs> but, yes, I, I think Seattle uh, wins this game. The 49ers have some talent in the front seven, but the rest of this team is just going to take a while. Yeah, I was disappointed in the showing for the 49ers uh, in week one. I really thought that they were going to come out and be a little bit better than they were and it turns out, you know, they, they were who we thought they were. They're a young team that's still trying to put it together. And, you know, the Reuben Foster thing didn't help anything. But they're not going to go out and they're not going to beat Seattle. Again, I say that, and I think about all of the times that Seattle has been the Super Bowl-caliber team with the Legion of Boom, and Jeff Fisher has bested them. These divisional games are so weird for the Seahawks. You know, I mean, they, they, look— I don't think that Seattle's going to lose. I'm picking Seattle. But don't be surprised if this is one of those games like we've seen so many times before from Pete Carroll where he goes out there and it's the fourth quarter and it's two minutes and it's nine to six and he's chomping on his gum, confused about what's happening, hunched over, trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden the 49ers are in this game. So I'm picking Seattle, but don't be surprised if this is one of those weird trap games that we've seen Seattle turn in so many different times. I I hate to swallow 12 and a half points, but I'm going to. I think... I think the 49ers offense, by about the middle of the second quarter, they're going to stop. They're going to take a moment of silence, and they're just going to start <laughs> playing taps. Um, uh. But we'll see what happens. It was the Sunday night game in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Falcons opening up Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, by the way, Mercedes-Benz kind of cornering the market there in the NFC South, oh, uh, yeah. owning the rights to uh, two stadiums. Uh, but in any event, like Green Bay comes in. Atlanta's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, rematch of the NFC Championship game, which was a blowout, of course, in favor of the Falcons. Packers looked really good against the Seahawks. Uh, the offense wasn't great, but I, I don't think we're going to see too many teams look great against Seattle's defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Rodgers still was able to throw the ball over the yard when he had to. Uh, can they go back to the scene of the crime and beat Atlanta? I think so. I don't think that this is going to be a game like we saw in the NFC Championship game where Green Bay just doesn't show up and you have no idea what's going on. Aaron Rodgers, we saw him start the game against Seattle a little rough. He throws that interception. and he... Progressive's Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Now that we've covered something you could do, it's time for sports stuff you definitely could not do. If you were head coach, you would not have gone for it on fourth down. Your confidence in your play-calling ability might be a little overblown, considering you're barely confident in which restaurant to order takeout from, let alone choosing a play in front of 70,000 screaming fans. But you definitely can use Progressive's Home Court Explorer to easily compare rates. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Over there slamming his helmet on the sideline, really upset. So, you know, it, it, it's, you're able to get to Aaron Rodgers. But the defense for Atlanta is, I don't want to say similar to the defense of Seattle, 
But it's another really tough matchup that Aaron Rodgers is going to have to go up against. It's in prime time, though. He thrives there, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that. And then you, have, you also have to consider what is Atlanta going to do to bounce back from what is kind of an embarrassing showing against the Bears, you know? Yeah. It, it wasn't it, good. They didn't play great in that game. No. By no stretch. Uh, I, I am very intrigued by that game. I think it's the best game of the week. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's really going to be an offensive show. I think both teams are going to throw for over 300 yards. Uh, I like the Packers. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to go with the Packers. Just because, you know, what I said about Carolina being able to control this division a little early. They're getting a break here with, with Green Bay coming into town for Atlanta. It's going to be a tough game. I just think, you know, there were so many times we watched Aaron Rodgers yesterday and he got out of situations that any other quarterback would have just rolled up and taken the sack. You talk about what if Eli Manning was behind the uh, Seattle offensive line. Aaron Rodgers does things that no quarterback should be able to do. And I think that it's going to come down to that. Everybody will make their Super Bowl jokes or whatever about, oh, the Falcons, they finally lost this, this, and that. But the, the Packers are a very good team, and I see them going into Atlanta and getting a big win in what could actually be. Everybody's talking about the NFC South. I think Green Bay is going to need as many wins as they can get in the NFC North. Hmm, interesting take. I, I, I think Green Bay will win that division fairly comfortably. But Minnesota, you know, we'll see what they look like. Detroit look good week one. We'll talk about them next. Uh, but – you know, I don't mean there's any slight against the Falcons because I think the Falcons are a very good team. I just think, you know, Sarkeesian, new offensive coordinator, Packers with that revenge factor. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if the Falcons win this game I mean, at all. I think it's a toss-up. I'm just taking the Packers. I just feel like, uh, you know, that game against the Seahawks really got them into almost midseason form to some degree early on. You know, sometimes when you play good teams early – it hurts you because you, you, know, you get a loss or two. Mm-hmm. But it also, if you win, can kind of really, you know, like, like frankly, not to go, but I think for the Chiefs, it was a good thing they played New England early in the year. Yeah. You know, you have to get up for those games. You're not playing, you know, you're not playing Jacksonville. You're not playing Cleveland in that game. You're playing a really good team. And I think that helps Green Bay out as well. By the way, before we get to the Monday night game, then we'll wrap up here with, with uh, Hills dying on this whole segment. Uh, just have to mention, because I saw it on Twitter while we were doing this. Stephen Holder, the Indianapolis star, says, quote, it was reinforced to me this AM that Brissett, Jacoby Brissett, the backup quarterback who, who replaced Scott Tolzien in the Rams game, doesn't know the offense and it would be a challenge to start him. I still think it can be done, though. I mean... I, I, you talk about playing taps for the 49ers offense. What, is, <laughs> what in God's name is going on in Indianapolis? Like, I, I get it. Like Brissett's been there a couple of weeks. Fine. Scheme it. Figure it out. Have you watched Scott Tolsey? How that team went into the season, knowing Andrew Luck was hurt, because this is such a load of crap that they thought that Andrew Luck was going to be ready for week one. How that team went into week one and said, Scott Tolzien, that ought to work, is just mind-blowing. Then they trade a former first-round pick in Philip Dorsett for, yeah. for Brissett, and here we are, they won't start him. Or at least, you know, there's talk that they're not going to start him. Unbelievable. If there's ever been a time to fire everybody after one game, mm-hmm. this is it. But we're going to move on to a couple of real NFL teams. <laughs> the Giants hosting the Lions mm-hmm. on Monday Night Football. Giants, of course, coming off of that road loss on Sunday night against Dallas. Giants are favored by five points in this game. Uh, I'm intrigued by this one. The Giants... 
there's been talk that they could be a Super Bowl team, and I love the defense. I think the defense is terrific. Great defensive line. Landon Collins is a stud. They've got really good corners. Linebackers are so-so, but, the, but defensively, the Giants are an elite team. But, man, that offense. I know they were missing Odell Beckham. I get it. But, Josh, does he play tackle? He got tackled a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of tackle going on, but it wasn't any kind of protection. He, he's not a tackle. No. And Eric Flowers is the only lineman I've ever seen that blocks looking straight at the ground. He doesn't look up when the guy's running at if you're If you're watching that game Monday night, look at left tackle number 74, Eric Flowers, and he mm-hmm. blocks. He blocks with his head down. How they've not coached this out of him is mind-blowing, but... It's the worst technical trait of any offensive lineman I've ever seen. No hyperbole involved. So the Giants go into a game against the Lions where they really need to win. The Lions coming off of their uh, week one victory, 35-23 over the Cardinals. You picked it. I didn't. Stafford started out a little slow. He had a pick six to Justin Bethel, but then came out, threw for 291 and four touches. If Detroit plays defense in this game, can run the ball a little bit, look out. Could be interesting. Yeah, the loss of Odell Beckham, I think, is very, you know, everybody was saying it last night, but there's the two happy people after that game on the Giants side was Odell Beckham and his agent because they're, the Giants offense needs him. I mean, Brandon Marshall was what, in witness protection? Where, he, was, he was nowhere. Where was he? So, you know, and then, look, Eli Manning, I said this before the season, the, the weapons that they have on offense, he has the chance to do something really special this year and bounce back from where he was a year before where he made a lot of mistakes, wasn't really that great throwing the ball. I just didn't see anything to fill me with any sort of confidence against the Cowboys. And the Lions, they have a comeback win against the, what we thought was a good team, maybe could still be a good team. It's week one with Arizona. Let's see how that plays out. But that's a confidence booster for a Lions team that knows that they're in a division with the Packers. They're going to need to get the wins when they can get them. And I just feel like if they can go out and channel whatever was working for them in, against Arizona and then win in prime time, national television, Monday night football, against Eli Manning and the Giants, they shut down Odell Beckham, assuming he plays. I think that that's, after that, you're going to have to take the Lions very, very seriously. Agreed. Uh, I am going to take the Giants just on matchups. I think the Giants' defense is a tough matchup for Detroit because you know the mm-hmm. Lions want to throw. And that's the one thing that is very tough to do against the Giants. Yeah. I'll take the Giants, but I, I do believe the Lions are going to cover. I think mm-hmm. this is within a couple of points. I would not be surprised if the Lions win. Um, I like Matthew Stafford more than a lot of people do. Uh, so I, I'm a fan of his. But I think this is a tough matchup. I think the Giants are desperate. I think they win. Um, and so you have who in this game? I'm going to go with Detroit in this game. I think this is – we've been waiting – for how many years at this point for Matthew Stafford and the Lions to really arrive, to really punch through and be a team that people need to take seriously instead of just saying, oh, yeah, they're probably going to be good. Matthew Stafford, he's all right. They've got some weapons. They'll be fine. I think if they come out and they win, which I think they will, this is going to be a game where now the Lions are taken very, very seriously. So now we wrap up uh, with all 16 games covered. Hopefully you enjoyed that. We're going to wrap it up real quick with the Josh Hill dying on this hill. Hill at first was coming on for one segment. Now Hill has, has come in and invaded the whole program. As, <laughs> uh, but, you know, for, for the betterment, I'm sure everybody enjoys listening to Hill more than me because, frankly, uh, even I'm sick of me. Uh, <laughs> but, anyway, dying on the hill. What is your uh, dying on the hill thought slash prediction going into week two? Uh, I think that the Chiefs are going to be very okay without Eric Berry. And, again, this is more of a long-term play. But From your lips to God's ears. 
Yeah, but so they come out on Thursday night. They get this win that nobody except me and the the <laughs> default picker on Pick Watch that picks the road teams only. <laughs> my wife picked the Chiefs, mostly I think because she's my wife and I was trying to get on the good side. But she's like, make sure you tweet it out before the game because they're going to win. And, and I did, and and they won. And now she has a better pick record than me. There you and go. she's going to retire, so she's 1-0 in the Oh, Going out on top. But So the Chiefs come out, they win that game, but it's this kind of cloud that's hanging over them. They lose Eric Berry, who for a lot of that game was taking Gronkowski out of things. You say, oh, yeah, the, the, the Patriots defense, blah, 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 this and that. Tom Brady, is he done and is he old? Forget that. Eric Berry was taking one of his best targets out of the game, and you dramatically change the game plan if you do that. Now, without Eric Berry, what does that Chiefs defense look like? They're deep at safety, so that helps. But one thing I think people are underrating is how much of a leader Eric Berry is. And this goes even when he's healthy. He consistently, you know, is up for team awards for being a great leader. League awards, I think he's like a Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee and stuff like that. Granted, that's charity and everything. But he's going to still be a voice in the locker room. He's going to be around the team. He's going to be at practices, in meetings. He's going to be on the sideline. He's going to be a guy that this team still rallies around. He's going to be there chirping in the ear of the safeties, helping out the defense. He's going to be there, you know, this guiding light, I think. And as good as he is on the field, like we saw him win that game single-handedly for the Chiefs against Atlanta last year. I think that this is a season, which kind of sucks that we have to see it this way, but he's going to be on the sideline, and we're finally going to really recognize, wow, Eric Berry is this leader that really guides the Chiefs. He is the heart and the soul of the Chiefs. And I think that's why they're going to be okay, even with him off the field. I, I think they will be only because I think that the depth behind them, I think that's the deepest position on the team. Uh, nobody knows probably nationally who Daniel Sorensen is, but Daniel Sorensen can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, I'm not saying he's Eric Berry. He's not, but he, he can play. Ron Parker can play. Mm-hmm. And they love Eric Murray, second-year kid out of Minnesota. They, they think he's going to be big time. And so I think they're going to have to use all their talents to combine to try to replace Berry. And while I don't think you can ever replace Eric Berry, I think the Chiefs can do a good enough job. It's not going to kill him. Um, I wonder with the Chiefs this year if we're seeing a metamorphosis from a team that's always been a very defensive-oriented, you got to hold them under 20 to win type of team, mm-hmm. to here's Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt and catch us if you can behind a very good offensive line. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the case. It's week one. They, they could go out and score nine points against Philadelphia. But that offense, to me, against New England – it was just more open. They were they were moving the ball down the field. They were aggressive. And I wonder if part of that is because Alex Smith is looking over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. But we'll find out. I think I think the Chiefs will be fine. I still think they're the team to beat in the AFC West until proven otherwise. Uh, but they have a good, tough matchup here in week two at home against the Eagles. And since we've already run over an hour, we'll wrap it up right there. Thank you very much for listening. If you're listening for the first time, Please go to iTunes and subscribe and rate unless you thought it sucked. And don't rate. Be a better person than that. Um, really appreciate any feedback. Tweet me at Matt Verderam. Tweet, tweet Hill at J. Dave Hill. Um, always, always open for you know, questions, comments, you know, things you want to hear from uh, us. Uh, always appreciate the listenership. And uh, we will be back next Monday, as we are every Monday, to talk about the week that was, the week that will be in what promises to be a wild NFL season. So for Josh Hill, I am Matt Verderam. Thank you very much for listening to this week's edition of Stacking the Box.